Welcome, folks, to another edition of Smith & Jones. Eric Smith, Paul Jones with you. Fresh content right here on Sportsnet 5 Night of the Fan every Thursday and, of course, on your favorite podcast platform. If you aren't already, make sure you subscribe to Smith & Jones and download the latest episodes as well. Google, Apple, Spotify, or otherwise, wherever you get your podcast, download, subscribe, rate, and review. And, Jones, we've got a jam-packed show coming at folks this week. Former NBAer Pat Garrity will be on the program. And two former Raptors... Del Curry and Amir Johnson. So we are stacked and packed this week. But before we get to our guests, we have now hit and surpassed the midway point as we're looking ahead here now, Jonesy, to the second half of the season. Less than a month till the trade deadline. Yeah, still not quite sure where you're leaning, where I'm leaning, where the organization, more importantly, might be leaning in terms of are you standing pat? Are you being aggressive? Are you striking with fury or just making a little tweak? How do you see it unfolding, Jonesy? Well, for me, Eric, I'm a guy that, I mean, personal philosophy is stay patient. And when I look at where the Raptors are now, and think about Masai, who always says, look, I do my work in the summer and maybe make a tweak here or there. I don't see a major overhaul coming right now. And the other thing that, you know, I always talk about, you and I mention it all the time, the draft day is like the de facto second trade line day deadline you know you know who those draft picks are you know who the free agents are you know who's looking for contracts things crystallize a little bit more a championship's already been awarded uh so i I think it makes it easier for as messiah always says for him to do his work in the summer so i'm kind of standing pat with this team and I look at the last little while with Precious Achua coming back off the bench and you know Nick maybe figuring out a little bit of a rotation I know they're not where they wanted to be the Raptors they're not far off I, I you know I can say all it takes is a little bit of a winning streak and and you put things together and you're right back in it so and and it's not like you're playing for the play-in that's not what I'm saying but you're really evaluating and and Maybe there's more development than than winning, but you are still trying to win. And thanks to the play-in, if you want to get there, and I'm not one who says, oh, junk it. I don't want to get in the play-in. Like, what are you playing that for? You know, just, you know, tear it down. Well, listen, it's easy to tear it down. It's tough to build it back up. And the team that I look at all the time is the Philadelphia 76ers. They bled and hemorrhaged and tanked for years, and they have still yet, with as, as good as they've become as a team, they've still yet to make it to a conference final. You know, it's funny. I, I, I recently saw an interview uh, with Blake Griffin and, you know, chatting with Blake about not having been to a championship. And Blake himself brought up the fact, haven't even been to a conference final. So, Jonesy, just as you said that, it, it kind of popped in my head. You think of, you know, whether it's, current day with the 76ers as you speak about whether it's a guy like Blake who's who's still chasing and still dreaming and and it looks like he's probably got a good chance of doing it with with Boston but how many years did we talk as well about um you know teams like the Sacramento Kings they're finally putting it together this year but how many top 10 how many top five picks over the years Portland is a team that we used to discuss in that manner as well Orlando again they're showing strides as well certainly helps when you might have the number one pick going out into the rookie of the year in Bancaro, but how long has it been for them trying to put it together? So careful what you wish for. And I'm the type of guy, 
And and I'm saying this more so as just a fan, and not necessarily Raptor fan, just a fan of the game. Let's use football, the Buffalo Bills. Do I want them to win the Super Bowl? Absolutely. But would I take them being in the playoffs and in the hunt and in the conversation and giving themselves a chance for six, seven, eight, ten-plus years in a row, even if they never got the title, but always being there and knocking on the door and being right in the conversation? Sign me up. Sign me up. Give me a chance. And that's I'll always die on that sword. Give me a chance. I'd rather be in the mix. Even if I'm not among the elite, I'm in the mix, and you never know when lightning might strike. Well, Eric, and that's the thing that Raptor fans have been spoiled about, right? Eight of the last nine years in the playoffs, a championship, a conference final in there, and you know they, they you know they snub their nose a little bit at all oh, the play-in. Well, no, it, it, sometimes to get to the playoffs in this new NBA, uh, especially when you're depending on some young people like Scotty, like Precious, and they're not like OG or Pascal and Fred who hands had their hands on the trophy. You need to go through that. You need to have some scars before you start winning. So I'm with you, man. Just put me on the dance floor and let me dance to the music. And if the judges like what I'm doing and I get a good score and I'm, you know, I can win a trophy in that dance, great. If not, then, you know, I'll wait till the next song comes on and get me back on the dance floor again. Okay, I'm not going to use that analogy. I'm not going with that one because I can't dance. Two left feet, just keep me in the chair. Let me do my chair dance. Let me do my thing. I look much cooler sitting close to the dance floor than I do on the dance floor. But, Jonesy, I got a perfect segue to this one. Here's a dude that was dancing literally on the streets of Toronto. Remember back and doing, like, the thriller dance or something, the zombie walks and all that stuff? I mean, he was, he was everywhere. If there was something going on in the city, he was there, whether it was Raptor-related or... Or it was something organized by a like he was everywhere, right? Yeah, he was. He was. I roll with Amir, right? I roll yeah, with Amir. Yeah. I roll with Amir. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. You're right. I mean, he, he started up his own watch parties and whatnot. And uh, I guess he needs no introduction. Jonesy just hinted at it, but we bring into the conversation right now. Longtime NBA vet, but more importantly, longtime former Toronto Raptor as well, Amir Johnson. Amir, listen, it's great to catch up with you. I'm looking forward to, to, to chatting with you right here. And, and before we get into, I don't know, what, what, what's been new with you since, since leaving Toronto and since uh, kind of stepping into retirement, but not really because uh, based on what you were telling us after, it sounds like you're really busy. I just want to go back to, you know, reminisce a little bit. I know the fans love this as well, Amir. When I, when I put together a list in my mind of, of guys that embrace this city and all it had to offer, and not just this city, but this country. Um, you got to be like, if you're not at the top of the list, you're certainly in the top three, top five. And and I, and I wonder now, looking back, kind of in hindsight, Amir, and I know you've chatted about this over the years before as well. But what was it about the city, the organization, the fan base that just kind of sparked something in you, where you wanted to be more than just a player? You actually wanted to be part of the community. First of all, wow, just just hearing that, man, just a, a top three, top five guy all time in Toronto, man, that is, um, I'm honored. Um, just just my personality, man, just me um, being a guy that loves to give back, being a community guy, um, 
going to a different country, I just I just felt that I just wanted to embrace it and know everything about Toronto, Canada, all around. And um, it, it, it was just, I, I guess it was just in me. It was just my personality, how I was raised. Um, grew up going to uh, community centers, going to the YMCA, going to Boys, Girl, Boys and Girls Club, um, seeing how they, they help guys help kids get people, you know, off the streets where they, they're, they're coming after school and, and be able to do some curricular activity. And I, I grew up that way. And, and my parents did a great job. Um, the boys and girls I used to go to were probably like, it was, they were so far from, from where we lived at. I don't know how my parents got me there, but they did. And it, it was just my personality. And, um, I'm glad Toronto embraced me and I was able to just go around the city anywhere and everybody was like, Hey, I'm here. You know, we love what you do. And it was, it was, it was just awesome. My years are awesome out there. I loved it, man. Best city I played in my whole career. Amir, it sure sounds like you're paying that forward. Now you were telling us a little bit off mic off air, uh, what you were doing. Can you get into that and let people know that, you know, like your parents, you're, you know, you're you're helping people and you're you're kind of paying it forward, man. So during my time playing, I've always had uh, my nonprofit. Um, it's a 501c3 nonprofit, which is called stands for Education Youth Sports. Um, I, when I was playing, I haven't had a chance to fully focus on it because I was focused on winning a championship. But I had my partner just kind of do his due diligence and do everything right, you know, when I'm finally accelerated retired. And now um, um, I catch myself, you know, at home in front of the computer, you know, um, working a lot and, and trying to get this thing up and running. So we've, um, here in Las, I live in Las Vegas. So here in Vegas, we are in the midst of building a community center. And so far we, we have our sponsors, and we have the land, we have the site, and I'm I'm super excited about this. And it, it, it's in the midst of going up. And then we we, we it's basically we believe in, in the need of just mentoring the youth in, in in programs and to just get kids. Sure, they have computers to sit at. Make sure they do 30 minutes of homework and. Wow, they straight to curricular, whether it's football, baseball, basketball. We're, we're, we're pretty much going to have everything at this community center. And it's all going to be indoor, too, since it's Vegas, because, you know, Vegas is like a thousand degrees. <laughs> but um, this is a, a project uh, I've always had deep in my heart and mind. As you can see, I've always been in the community, and it's something I've always wanted to do. And I'm, I'm, I'm definitely um, going to get it started, hopefully, by. 2024, 2025, hopefully sooner than later. So it's something I've been working on. And at the same time, I've actually been a player development coach uh, here with Ignite G League team, which I've played on for the last two years. And now I moved to player coach, to, to player development, uh, still helping guys that, that were basically in my position as a 18-year-old kid first coming into the NBA, knowing how to deal with on-the-court stuff and off-the-court stuff just by experience. So um, it, it's pretty fun just finding stuff that um, you're passionate about, you know, especially, um, you know, after-career basketball. And um, it, it really just takes on, on just getting out there, 
collecting business cards, meeting those season ticket holders that that, that come to the Raptors games and, and just starting something and being an entrepreneur yourself. Hey, Amir, I want to go back to, to your upbringing then as, as a kid. Did you have anything close to or even resembling what you're now trying to do for the youth in, in Vegas in the area? Was was there, a, whether it be a coach or a teacher, was there a community center? Was was it your parents? Was it an aunt or an uncle? Was there somebody or somewhere that you were able to attach to beyond just what you were doing in school or on the court where you could go as a as a safe haven if you wanted to or as a place to to learn and extend yourself even further like where did this nugget come from and 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 like i say did you have something like that well the the first person i've ever seen in california do something in the community was magic johnson magic he had well the street i lived on was crenshaw and washington and that that's basically that that's really in the hood in, in California. But what he did is it, it, built these Magic Johnson theaters, uh, TGIF Fridays, uh, uh, um, a twenty four hour uh, workout facility, and I was just like, wow, that's just that was just unbelievable to me. Like you know, a player would actually go in the hood and just build these these centers in these communities that 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 we can go to. So that was like my first time actually seeing that you know growing up from where I live. But um, where I went to is everything was, was pretty much so separated. Like these community centers were pretty much not in the hood. We had to drive out far to kind of go to like a boys and girls club, or we had to drive a little bit somewhere else to find like a YMCA. So I used to go like to way, way to Pasadena from where we're from. And that's probably like maybe 20 miles from where we are. And my parents just used to drive me there. Um a guy named Tracy Murray had a, a basketball team there in that boys and girls club. And I played for his basketball team uh, in that facility. My parents just used to drive me off and, and just entrusted me with the guys there, the staff. And I used to just have a ball. I didn't have to leave that place. I had everything there. They had arcades, video games, swimming pool, um, whatever you can ask for help for, for homework in, that's where I was. That's where I was. That was kind of like my safe haven as a kid. You know, I used to go down there and just kind of be do do all my work, and all my parents really had to worry about is just getting me, picking me up, and getting me to bed. So that was, um, I think that was one of the things that really helped me out. You know, as a as a kid, and then of course my my parents were there, had my back twenty four seven, and and just seeing that in the community, seeing guys actually build. You know these community centers or these movie theaters would just just kind of just brighten my eyes up. Like, man, I, I want to do that. You know, if I ever like, that's what I wanted to do it. I always had that vision in my head growing up. Amir is coaching in your future, like it, NBA it, coaching. I, I think it is because I just like I like helping. Um, just just. Coaching with the the younger guys, I think I think I do a great job because I was again I was exactly in their shoes, so it's just kind of natural for me just to kind of tell them certain ways. We actually have a guy too on the team, uh, Leonard Miller. He's from Scarborough, so I I I, I really, really mentor him a lot. He's about six eleven. He's a good kid. Um, I think that part just of, of Telling these young kids, you know, you know, 
what I had to do to get to your position, that part I, I, I genuinely really enjoy. And um, I might I might see it in the future. I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm working on the X's and O's. I'm working on how to break down film, draw plays. I'm, I'm catching myself going to, like, every basketball game possibly, like Juco, J- high school, JV, whatever the case may be. So I'm watching – it's funny, I'm watching a lot more basketball than I do when I used to play. <laughs> so um that's that's the part I'm running on. Um so far I know I know I, I definitely want to help in the community. I know I can do that, but the coaching part I definitely maybe in the future I can probably start coaching, but so far player development is, is, is my area right now. You know what pops in my mind as well when I when I hear you talking about young players, Amir. Makes me think back to to Raptor days as well. With um, and it, it it ties into right now. I'm gonna put the put a big bow on this in a second here. The young guns, the young guns coming off the bench for the oh, Raptors. And I mean the, the and and listen, it's an issue this year. I don't know how much you're watching the Raptors, but the second unit has struggled. And and the last couple of games they've been better and trying to put something together, seeing if they can turn the season around. But the the bench. Uh, has not been as strong, perhaps, as the Raptors have needed it to be or wanted it to be this season. And 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 you, listening to you, and it just popped in my head again, like Sonny Weems and, and Amir Johnson and the young guns coming off the bench. It's it's something special when you've got young players, but especially when you've got young, hungry players in a second unit that can that can really elevate a team, Amir. And and I'm sure you remember those times well as well. Man, we we embrace that, man. We love that, like. When when the fans just started calling us the young guns and we came off the bench, it just kind of clicked in our head. Like, okay, we know we have to come in here and turn up. We can't really take a night off because they're expecting these young guys to be high flying, high energy. I don't know. I don't know what it was, but it just kind of clicked for it. Might have been the name, man. Maybe the bench has to have a name. I don't know. <laughs> the name. We we um we enjoyed that, man. We embraced it. We knew if um. The first, the first group wasn't doing well. We had to be on point, and that's another thing I tell the young guys: like you, you, you don't have to be the star on the team. You don't have to score thirty a night, forty a night. You just have to do your job. Whether it's like setting screens, you have to cut, rebound. Like you can make a great living in this league if you know how to be a, a, a great teammate. And, you know, scouts nowadays go off of plus and minuses. If your plus is up with any group that you're on on the floor, you're, you're going you're gonna to last a long time. So, no, we embraced that. We knew we had to come on the court and, and give it our all, and, and we loved every bit of it. Amir, how much are you watching the Raptors these days and looking at, you know, how they've kind of progressed and, you know, since the title, you, I mean, you were on, you knew what a title team was like in Detroit and you get past that and you kind of got to kind of rebuild it again. Uh, how much are you watching the Raptors and, and give us some thoughts on what you think about this team, especially now that you're wearing kind of a coaching hat? Um, I, I think, I think they have a great team. I think they have a championship, a championship team there. They just, I'm pretty sure everybody in Toronto is probably saying this. They just need that 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 one player because they have they have that core, that great group of guys that are able to get them there. They just need that one player that just is just a dog, and which was Kawhi. But if they can get somebody that just okay, 
no, I'm going to score this. And I've seen a few. I played with a few, like Jimmy Butler, uh, Joel was one. They just need that one player. Or if, if whoever can step up and just take them over the hump, I, I feel like they'll definitely get back into championship winning basketball. But that's why pretty much I've been seeing. I've been staying so busy, so I've been catching a few here and there. I, I definitely want to come up to a game. I'm thinking about coming in. Actually, I'll probably be down in March uh, with the G League team. But um, I definitely want to um, come to a game and catch it live for sure. But I, that's all I pretty much see they're missing, man. Just that one dog player that just, you know, I'm getting a bucket when we need it no matter what. Hey, Amir, you, you obviously have a, a, a very – unique perspective and the best perspective of of us of the three of us because you've been there done that you've you've been an athlete you've been a pro athlete but you've also been traded uh so you've been through it we're less than a month away from the trade deadline when you talk about needing that dog and again i'm not asking for specific names or anything like that we're talking just big picture how difficult is this time of year whether it's you looking in the mirror or looking over your shoulder wondering could I be a guy that's dealt? Might my life be flipped upside down in the next two, three, four weeks? But then also, as you just said, recognizing, I'm sure the guys in the locker room realize, hey, maybe we need, as you say, to use your words, we need a dog, we need somebody else. But what is it going to cost to get that kind of guy? What's it At what expense? So could this guy or this guy or this guy, my, my friends, my teammates, be gone in a month and trying to deal with the personal relationships and the personal side of the business aspect of basketball and deals and trying to put together a championship squad well just that man you got to realize it's it's just a business at the point in, in Celtics and he had to break up the the Kevin Garnett like man I, out of a few years they were going to run out of the gas so I had to make it they were still a little bit with with um, Masai, you know, he had to do the DeMar trade with everybody was just like, oh, no. And, you know, it turned out he was in everything into a team. But in the back of your mind, you just got to know, like, okay, something might happen. And I, and I guess to just really take your mindset off that, you just got to just work your butt off and just be prepared, you know, for anything, even though you give it, you know, your 100% and it's just, it's just the business about it. And, I, and GMs are constantly thinking of ways like, okay, win this championship. So you just got to think anybody could be up for trade. You know what I mean? And there's always those next draft guys coming in, you know, hungrier and, and ready to play. So business minded, be ready. And, you know, can't really say who they're going to trade for or pick, but you know, I mean, with Masai, you know, you just never know what he's up there planning. So, Amir, who's impressed you? Uh, which team? Uh, you know, when I, you, again, I, I'm asking you to put on your coaching hat. You say you're watching a lot more than you have in the past. Which teams have impressed you this year? When you look around the league and you say, "Hey, these guys are making some noise, and they could make some more noise later." I've been watching all the young teams now, just because I've, I've been player development, young players. I've been watching the OKCs. I've been watching the Clevelands. Um, I've been watching the uh, the Minnesotas. I'm keeping my eye on them a lot. Um, 
just just a lot of the young players, especially the young players that 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 are, are signed to the G League and coming up into the G League, um, and, and playing. Um, just keeping my eye on the young guys, just so I can kind of preach to them. Like you see this guy you just played with yesterday in the G League, like he got a call up and he's out there just hustling this butt off. So. Just as a coaching standpoint, I've just been watching a lot of young young teams. All right, Amir, uh, we're only going to keep another minute or two here. Um, I, I'm going to ha- ask you maybe the most generic question I've asked you thus far. We started off talking about just thinking back to, to joining Toronto and, and the, the way you embrace the city. What for you stands out when you think back to your time here? Like, is there a game? Is there a moment? Is there a specific something in time that really for you says that sort of encapsulates or that that was like the my peak moment or my highlight moment or are there a couple that really you know are top of mind for you um i i, I think um well at the at the time that that, that chris bosch left and we were kind of going on a downhill and then we would as a team we were just working our butt off and we finally won like our division and, and, and I, I think that was like a, a like a highlight moment for me because you know, everybody was just so upset. Like our superstar just left, but we 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 worked our butt off and rallied up. Um, we had new coaches in. Of course, we got Lou and 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 Kyle and, and Gravis and all those guys that came in. And we were able to you know, make the playoffs and finally make the playoffs as, as we were going on the downhill and win the division. I think that was probably like the highlight. I still got the T-shirt here hung up in my office that I'm sitting in. And I think that was one that's to look at it. I'll tell you what, man, you know what you need to get? You need to get a copy of that, that graphic that somebody did back in the day. If you don't have it already, you know, we talked about the young guns earlier, the NWA uh, the the way that they reworked the uh, the album. You've seen that one, obviously, right? That was on a T-shirt at some point. I know you know what I'm talking about, right? The 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 the, the, the remake of the cover. I need I need somebody to, to send me a, a copy of it for sure. <laughs> hey, Amir, great chatting with you, man. Good catching up with you, and we'll look forward to seeing you up here, and uh, hopefully get a chance to catch up with you down in Vegas sometime as well. Great to roll with you, Amir. Thank you. Always great chatting with Amir Johnson and uh, certainly brings a smile to my face thinking about that. that Well, Amir in general, Jonesy, um, brings a smile to my face because he was always a good personality. You know, like he's one of those guys that he was quiet but yet very approachable and then thought-provoking and certainly good to the fans, and he had a big smile. And it's like he, one of those guys that if you didn't know him, you might sometimes not totally understand him because he came across as quiet but he was one of the nicest dudes, and again, like I say, thought-provoking and always engaging and, and so good um, with the fan base and with the young folks. And, and here's the other thing, too. I, I pulled it up here as we were chatting, that old album cover, the NWA album ripoff. It was NWA Greatest Hits, I believe, but the Young Guns with Jarrett Jack, and it's got Jarrett Jack, JJ, DeMar DeRozan, D2, Amir Johnson, Amir 3000, with Sonny, just listed as Sonny, Sonny Weems, and then Ed Davis, Easy e like... Man, I want a copy of that. If somebody out there has it, like I, I want a copy of that I want to hang in a frame or something, let alone we got to get one sent down to Amir, right? Absolutely. <laughs> e, you're showing your age. The world's most dangerous group 
full court highlight reel material. Like it's just outstanding, outstanding. Anyways, appreciate Amir Johnson joining us. We're going to hear from another former Toronto Raptor later on in the show when Del Curry joins us and another former NBAer on tap next, Pat Garrity, when we come back on Smith and Jones. Welcome back to Smith and Jones, Eric Smith, Paul Jones with you again. Subscribe to Smith and Jones wherever you get your podcast. Please download, subscribe, rate, and review as we bring into the conversation right now a 10-year NBA vet, former front office member as well, and uh, doing work now with Stadium Sports. And we welcome in for the first time Pat Garrity. Pat, we've pretty much hit the halfway point for you know every team in the league, and um, I, I'm going to start with the with the local team. And I guess when I talk local, it's not just you know Toronto and Ontario, but we're we're across Canada and, and around the globe. There's lots of Raptor fans as well. I'm not sure how much you've uh, watched the Raptors this season. Um, you know, obviously trying to keep an eye on a bunch of teams, I'm sure. But let me just get your sense of where things are at from a Raptors perspective. And, Pat, when I, when I ask this question, I also kind of do it with a bit of a preface in saying the Raptors, like many teams, and I'm sure you experienced it in your playing days as well, have been through a lot of injuries. And how much can we factor in injuries as, a, as an actual factor, Pat, versus an excuse? And where do you land on all of that? Yeah, I mean, I think injuries obviously are always um, going to play a, a role, like in the NBA for for short stretches of time. If you know, if we're not talking about something like one of your top three scoring players being out for the full season, um, when it comes to Toronto, I think obviously it's played a little bit of a role. More so, though, I think if you look over the last couple of years, um, the the team has never been a great offensive team um, and has really relied on, on being able to defend. And I think that like, that's a little bit of the surprising thing to me is like, even though you look at their numbers defensively and kind of over the course of the season, this is according to cleaning the glass they're you know, the 12th ranked team in terms of defensive rating, you would, I would just in looking at that roster expected them to be an elite defensive team um, and to be able to ride, ride it out, being able to keep the scores low um, on nights when they're not shooting the ball well. And, you know, they've been a good defensive team, but not great. And when you're good, but not great, and you're shooting the ball like they're shooting the ball this season with, you know, both. Fred Van Vliet and, you know, you know, Siakam not being the most efficient players in the world. That, that's not, it's not an easy recipe to be winning games in a time when offense in the NBA continues to become more and more efficient. So Pat, is there a fix for that? Uh, <laughs> you know, when you think, well, no, when you think about it, uh, like the simple fix, and we always talk about it and you know, this, especially as a guy uh, and I'd love to see Pat Garrity in today's NBA, a, a guy of your size who actually could shoot the ball and make shots. You were you were ahead of your time in that sense or, or born in the wrong era. But Eric and I talk about it. And, you know, Stan Van Gundy, former coach in Orlando, used to say it. Sometimes the adjustment is just that shots start going in. Yeah. Yeah, no, I certainly think that's the case. And I, I think for Fred Van Vliet, like that's especially the case. Fred Van Vliet is a – is a much better shooter than than he's shooting the ball this year. And so all of a sudden, he starts performing at career averages. Your offense ticks up quite a bit. You know, I think the, the more interesting thing for Toronto, and this was the deliberate decision 
that that I thought was was you, you know pretty groundbreaking is they really decided not to spend any money on the center position. They went and, and said, look, we're going to do center by committee and guys on affordable contracts that, that play hard, that aren't necessarily offensive players. And then we're going to really invest in, you know, long switchable wing defenders. Um, and, and when they went that route, I thought, I thought that was brilliant. I thought they were going to be a great defensive team. And I think that things you've seen, if you kind of go into their numbers a little bit is, they're one of the worst rim-protecting teams in the NBA. So I think, I think when you're talking about the defensive end of the floor, it's you know a question that I have is, is there a way to maybe reallocate some of what they have and, and go out and, and maybe bring a guy in that's a little bit better of a rim protector? Um, because on the offensive end, look, I mean, Scotty Barnes is still developing. I know you know people in Toronto are, are probably freaking out a little bit by his regression, but he's still 21 years old. Um, and he came in before he was even playing an NBA game as a guy that wasn't the most skilled player in the world and, and you know, was drafted based on, number one, his motor, and number two, his, his measurables of being a long, athletic, switchable guy. So it was going to take time for him to develop anyway. But Pascal Siakam has made an all-NBA team. OG is one of the, the most coveted 3-and-D wings in the NBA that I think any team in the NBA wants. So the funny thing about Toronto is you guys have a roster at the top that is full of guys that I think most other teams want. And just for whatever reason, it's not, you know, clicking this year. And a lot of that, you know, as you mentioned, just has to do with the shots not falling. Okay. So Pat, you, you, you led me down a little bit of a path here that I was going to go, but, but you went there. So I'll go even further. Uh, I'm not getting into fantasy trades and all this stuff. Jonesy and I, we don't, we don't do that because, you know, there's there's almost no point to it. Um, but talking again in generalities, you've been there as a front office guy as well. We're less than a month from the trade deadline. When you factor in what you have, what you thought they would be, how they're actually performing, looking at the present, looking at the future – you know, putting it all in the basket, looking at the record, thinking, okay, are we are we a buyers? Are we sellers? Are we are we just kind of you know standing pat and and, and then looking ahead to next season? Like, how do you evaluate what Masai Ujiri, what Bobby Webster might do? And and obviously, you could just sort of look at every GM and every president right now that might be scratching their head, thinking, all right, what what do we do right now? And 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 what position are we actually in? Yeah, well, and and what makes it tougher is the whole playing thing, right? Because like even if you are the 10th ranked team, but you end the season or, or you end, you know, say the month of January playing well, um, you, you're, and there's not a lot of separation between you and maybe number six or something like that. Like, Hey, you, you, you maybe ride that momentum. I think the more difficult thing about them is you have two guys that are both probably going to opt out of contracts at the end of the season and Van Vliet and, and Gary Trent Jr. And they need to make a decision probably, you know, right, like probably pretty soon with those guys, especially I would say Fred Bentley. Like it would be hard for me to imagine them not being able to come to some sort of agreement with, with Gary Trent that pays him, you know, a value that he thinks he's worth. Van Vliet's a little bit of a difficult one for me, um, you know, just because he is a smaller guard, has never been like a particularly efficient player, but he's the heart and soul and kind of leadership of your team right now. And so if he has a number in his mind that is kind of, you know, well beyond what that team option is for next year, which is kind of close to $23 million. Um, you know, there, there could be a team that's, that says, Hey, this guy could work in kind of a new fresh environment. We need a point guard and, and they risk losing him. So I think, 
You know, look, I don't think that that Toronto is headed for some sort of radical rebuild. Um, But the one guy that I could see, you know, there being a lot of interest and action around is is Van Vliet. Pat, uh, I want to jump around the rest of the league a little bit. Um, You gave that scenario a team in 10th and maybe looking at moving. Uh, I present the Los Angeles Lakers. Uh, What do Mm. you do if you're in their front office? I think with the Lakers, um, and LeBron was probably not going to want to hear that, is you're putting yourself in a, in a position for this summer. I mean, this summer is really the time that you have to remake the team. You know, I, I think that I, I would really be surprised if they're able to do anything um, at the trade deadline. I mean, obviously they have the two picks. But the two picks are not going to be able to do anything unless you're talking about also Russell Westbrook's contract to bring, to bring in, a, you know, a legitimate like third star on that team, which is kind of what they need. So I would imagine with them and especially with the type of injury that Anthony Davis has, like I know that there are reports that he's ramping up right now. Um, foot injuries in big guys are scary things. Um, so I would not be surprised if, if they actually stood pat, played it out at the end of the year, and played for free agency, hanging on to those two picks, and looking at having a combination of cap space and picks to make their move in the summer when free agency hits. Speaking with Pat Garrity, Pat, I'll, I'll stay with LA for a second. Um, Jonesy, I'm not, I'm not throwing you under the bus. You've said it a million times. Pat Jonesy's got a great line about uh, Anthony Davis in terms of leading the league in MRIs. Um, <laughs> it, unfortunately, it seems like this guy can just never, never stay healthy for a season. Um, how much does he factor into your decision making as well? Because you know, granted, yes, they did win a championship, albeit in the bubble. They won the championship. AD got his title. The pairing looked pretty good, I guess, in, in, the, in the restart down in the bubble. But if you're trying to take that next step and that next stage with an aging LeBron who's only got a handful of years left, how much does your decision-making involve AD and what you think he can become? Because he's kind of, you know, if he's not already in, he's definitely approaching the back nine of his career as well. Yeah, so, I mean, I think you got to look at it kind of immediate term and over the next, couple of years, which is, you know, LeBron's player options for the 24-25 season. So they really, it's, it's really this year and next year for the Lakers. This year, obviously, it, it's going to be tough for them to do anything. Even though the, the West, if there's any year that you want to be, you know, at the bottom half of the West and think that you have a chance, it could be this year. Um, but, I, but I just have a hard time. If, if Anthony Davis either doesn't play the rest of the season or comes back and then has to be put on the shelf again. I have a hard time seeing them being able to get like true value for a guy that, you know, when he's healthy, especially up until this injury was playing at an MVP level would get fair value for that. So I don't think that there's really a realistic scenario where he's, you know, moved. I think if you're the Lakers, you're planning on him, you know, being there at least next year, probably through, um, his early termination option in 2024, 25. Um, and then saying, look, we have to, we have to surround these two guys with better things. I don't think it's a scenario where they're, you know, looking at using him to, to, you know, add another all NBA or all-star level player with LeBron and, and he goes somewhere else. I just don't think that they can get the, I don't think they can get the, the, the right amount of value for him. What do you make of, I got one in the East, but I want to stay out West. Uh, what do you make of a team like Memphis? 
you know, mm. they make the they make the the climb, as Pat Riley called it, the innocent climb, where it's fun and you're exciting and everything's good and you're winning and the expectations are are creeping up a little bit, and then you get to a point where, like, you're coming into a nice window. Yeah. What do they need to get them over the top? Eric and I saw them in in Toronto here just a couple weeks ago, and. Uh, maybe partially because of the way the Raptors were playing, but they're the best team that I'd seen live all year with the way they play, their defense. Uh, you know, they say the grindhouse is gone. It, it kind of looks like it's back, even though it's got a little more flair to it with John Morant. But what do you make of a team like Memphis, and where do you think they go? Because their window's open. Uh, how long does it stay open? You know as well as I do. Contracts factor into things. Guys want to get paid. And and you've got that perfect storm, and then it falls apart. Yeah, no, and and that's that's going to be the tough thing for them because they do have so many guys that are under contract for a long time. I'm looking at their stuff right now. Dylan Brooks is really their, um, you know, the one guy that they have to make a decision on that he's going to be due for a, a pretty substantial payday for what he makes right now. Um, but I think that if if there's anything what they've shown is that they're a very deliberate, patient front office. And a couple, you know, last year and even the year before, everybody who was following them, you know, was waiting for the trade when they were going to put three or four of those young, attractive contracts into a deal and, and bring a superstar there. And that's just not their formula. Their formula has been, you know, depth, internal development, um, making commitments to guys, you know, long-term and, and coming to fair deals with guys. And, and that's what's gotten them. So, so I think really the path for them is it, it really seeing how this season and the playoffs turn out, because I think that there's a good chance that they, they can make it to the Western conference finals and potentially, you know, make it to the NBA finals. And so I think if, if they're a team that, you know, gets to the conference finals, maybe there isn't really any move that you want to make except, just, you know, keeping that team together and not locking yourself into, you know, into a corner when you do have a guy coming up for free and getting ahead of those kind of things. So I know that that wasn't a very specific answer, but, but I think that, I think that staying the course and keeping that team together and continue to develop internally is, is probably the best path for them. Pat, I'm going to jump to the East and Jonesy. I don't know if I'm going to jump on the team that you were uh, about to bring up, but I'm looking at uh, the Brooklyn Nets. Um, and the season they've had since the coaching change. And I don't know if it's as simple as that. You know, we've talked on this show a couple of times, Pat, about the fact that Steve Nash's record was very good, is very good as as a head coach in terms of the win-loss record. Even just go back a couple of seasons and you're a toe away from knocking out the Milwaukee Bucks, the eventual champs that year. So I don't think it's like this guy couldn't coach, but was it a was it a chemistry issue? Was it just a new voice in the room? Like why has suddenly the, the, the fortunes of the Nets with the, essentially the same personnel just flicked that switch and they are lights out and among the best of the best uh, in the East now? In the league? Yeah, I think... Yeah, yeah, I think a little bit had to do with just like unfortunate timing of Steve Nash being the coach when they were talking about everything other than basketball in Brooklyn <laughs> with, with, you know, KD's trade demand and the Kyrie thing earlier this season and, you know, Ben Simmons, you know, who hadn't played an entire year, still trying to figure out how he was going to fit into that team. And so I think, you know, look, a, a little bit obviously was like when things aren't working, um, 
and you're a coach and maybe you lose the, the locker room. And I'm not saying that that's what happened with Steve Nash, but, you know, it certainly, you know, could have been what happened. And you, and you get a new voice. Obviously, it gives a little bit of energy to the guys. But I think that you can't forget that, you know, there's also kind of time healing some of the wounds of the off-the-court issues, number one. And, you know, number two, Ben Simmons, T.J. Warren, guys like that, you know, coming in and, and giving them something that they didn't have last year. Um, and obviously Kevin Durant playing at MVP level was a huge part of that. Like his shot making was the major reason why their offense was so good, but um, they, they have more depth than they did last year. Um, and so I think a little bit of his timing, but obviously, you know, Jacques has found a way to get those guys out and, and all play together and play hard. The team that I was going to go to in the East fellows is uh, the Indiana Pacers. And to me, Pat, they remind me a little bit of the Raptors from last year in that, you know, you get a high pick. Uh, Benedict Matherin has been kind of like Scotty was last year, more than people expected. I mean, you knew he was good. You, you did your research. You made a good pick. But this guy comes on, plays well. You know, and uh, another Canadian kid, Andrew Nemhart, is playing well for them. Miles Turner, everybody is waiting for him to be traded. Now he seems to be anchoring and, and, and a big part of them. And they're ahead of where people thought they would be. I, I certainly didn't put them, you know, in a in a seven-game playoff spot in the top six. And what happens to their expectations? And what do you do if you're the Pacers? Do you accelerate the timetable at the trade deadline and say, eh, maybe we can make a, move, a few moves here? Or do you just kind of stay patient and realize, like Toronto, it's not linear and, it, it, you know, the, the, the ignorance of, of innocence is what's carrying you right now in some senses? Yeah, yeah. I, you know, I, I think that it's, for them, it's, it's staying the course. I think that it's, it's a pleasant surprise what they, where they're at right now. You know, I think that a lot of, People who followed the NBA thought that, like you mentioned, Miles Turner, Buddy Heald were both going to be traded, full-on rebuild around Matherin and Tyrese Halliburton, and maybe they kind of bottom out a little bit more um, before they build around those two guys. Um, you know, look, I, I think that when you're projecting teams out, I think when you're talking about moving into that upper tier, the question you have to ask is, are any one of these guys an all-NBA player or an MVP candidate on our team? Because you're really not gonna. You're you're really not gonna break into that top four group without those guys. I think probably Matherin has the best chance of becoming that. But if he does, maybe it's two or three years from now. So I, I think for them, you know, it's it's stay the course. I I would be really surprised if they started, you know, consolidating things to try to, you know, get a better player than they already have right now. The Miles Turner thing, um, you know, I, I could see him you know, being extended with them if it's, if it's a reasonable number. He's a very attractive type of center for, you know, pretty much every team in, in the NBA. Um, but they have him. So if, if they're able to, you know, get him at a reasonable number off of that $18 million that he's make, making this year and extend him before he even fits free agency, I think that that's probably what they do. Hey, Pat, we appreciate the time. Thanks for joining us today. Anytime, Thanks, Pat. Pat. That was former NBA executive, 10-year NBA vet, and analyst for Stadium Sports, Pat Garrity. Before we end the show, Jonesy, uh, we already had one former Toronto Raptor on the show, but we're going to bring in another one. And uh, listen, he was one of the all-time favorites and certainly a key cog in a uh, playoff run of years gone by as well. So he's not just Steph and Seth's dad. He was, 
he was a baller himself, and he was definitely a shooter. And you said earlier, Jonesy, about Pat Garrity in today's NBA. How about Dell Curry in today's NBA? Uh, this conversation recently went down at Scotiabank Arena. Jonesy and I chatting with Dell Curry. I'm thinking about free agent signings in Raptors history that ultimately came and made a difference to the team. And I don't mean that disrespectfully. Damari Carroll was a big signing, but unfortunately, you know, injuries and kind of scuffled and wasn't able to get through. Landry Field, same thing. Other guys, Jose Calderon was overseas. Garbo, overseas. Anthony Parker from overseas. An NBA guy coming to this team and making a difference and having an impact. Yeah. The last guy might still be the man we're chatting with right now, Del no, Curry. It, well, and I remember the night. Am I, am I missing a no, name? No, I don't know. I, I Look, this is right up there. We just had Glenn Grunwald walk by and. I, I remember the night that I was sitting on another network that shall not be named on their desk, and Dell was really close to signing between Milwaukee and Toronto. And word came across to me back in the day, no cell phone, no text. I got a call, had to get up from the desk and go in, and they said, Dell Curry's coming to Toronto. And I said, not Milwaukee? Nope, Dell Curry's coming to Toronto. And somebody said, well, we got some cats who can shoot now, put the ball in the hole, we're good. And, and Dell, free agents only go selected places. And, like, if we go back to that time, that was quite something for you to come to a place where sometimes nobody wanted to come to. Yeah. And, and you came and made a huge difference here. Well, it, let me back up and tell you how, how it actually happened. First, uh, the, the lockout year um, – I remember they, they signed Benny Del Negro after they Milwaukee signed me. He got a little bit more coin than I did, so I, I didn't like that too much. I thought, okay, all right, whatever. So we finished the year, and they go, all right, we want to re-sign you. I go, all right, okay. So they send we, we thought we had a deal done. They send me the contract, and there's a page missing from the contract. So I, I call my agent. I'm like, where's page, I don't know, 14 or something. And it's like, what? I'm like, yes, it's a missing page. So he's like, We'll, we'll send it. It'll be tomorrow. In the meantime, my tailor calls me <laughs> and says, hey, coach of the, the Raptors, they're on site. Long story short, because the, the the missing page in the contract, Taylor calls me, got a little bit more here. I'm like, all right, let's go north. <laughs> I was fine with it. So worked out great. Well, that's the, ver- great. that's the version I heard and the one I told, uh, what, what? 20, 23 years ago now? Yeah, yeah, 23. Yeah, I've been Crazy. out 20. Yeah, I came here in uh, 19, 2000. Yeah. Del, when you come back into the building, and I know you've done so many times over the last 20 plus years, what kind of memories go through for you? Because, I, I, again, I'm referencing seeing Glenn. One of the things that I talk about is beyond just you in the playing days is the commercials, of course, that have been aired and, and, and spliced together in Nike and folks can find on YouTube and that, let alone the pictures and whatnot, yeah. seeing your two young sons playing alongside you and getting up shots and taking care of business up on the practice court that's still there up in the 300 yeah. level. Like, what yeah. goes through your mind when you it, come here? It, it's, uh, it's always fun to come back. There's two buildings in the NBA that I can walk around without my credential on. <laughs> one is <laughs> in Charlotte, and it's this, the other one is this one right here. Oh. Uh, so they, they go, like, you need a credential? I'm like, I think I'm good, man. So as soon as I get <laughs> off the bus, go through security. Uh, actually, before I get through security, uh, I'm meeting a guy that I know, and he says, hey, Dale, good to be back. So it's always good to be back. One of my best friends still lives here, coming to the game tonight, have dinner with him. So it's a chance to, to see some friends that I made while I was here. Always walked around the city today just, just uh, rehashing and, 
yeah, I know this, I know that. Giving uh, you know my coworkers a little tips of where to hang out, where to go. Uh, really enjoyed my three years here. Come back every summer to visit my friend, play some golf. Um, so it's still special, special in my heart. Uh, Dell, how much of a difference do you think that made in a time when not everybody wanted to come to Toronto, right? I, and, yeah. I, and I say this all the time, having been here from day one and watched. I mean, that was a playoff team that you eventually were part of here and, and for a few years. People don't always want to come to Toronto. They may come kicking and screaming. Yeah. But when they get here, they're right. like, hey, right. man, this is okay. How yeah. much of a difference did it, did it make that you signed as a free agent? Charles Oakley was here. Kevin Willis was here. And people are looking around saying, wait a minute, we got some good vets that yeah. decided to go to Toronto. What's going on up there? Well, just like guys that paved the way uh, for players in the NBA right now, I, I, I like to think we paved the way for guys to come to Toronto. Um, it's a great city, great, great organization, fun place to play. Um, kind of the only show in town at basketball wise. Yeah. Uh, fans are great. Um, so I had no problem, um, you know, kind of going out of the pocket and, and coming here. I knew, knew a lot of the guys on the team, like you just mentioned, um, uh, very comfortable. Uh, my agent said, Hey, it's, it's, it'll be seamless. Uh, there's playing opportunities there. And, and, you know, I was on the tail end of my career. I played three years here. So getting a chance to, to play while I was aging uh, and helping a franchise was real important to me. So uh, I like to think that, yeah, we kind of paved the way to show guys that, hey, Toronto's a fun place to play, fun place to live. How good would Del Curry have been in this day and age? when We just, oh, finished, we just oh. finished talking to Steve Clifford who says, back in the day in the NBA, you had to take a good shot every possession for, well, to score, to be able to set up your defense. Now there's cross matches. He said we take a lot of okay shots. And when I look at your sons in particular and the way the game has changed, how much would you have enjoyed playing in this era? (laughs) I would have have flourished in this era right now. I mean, when I'm talking about the game, shot selection is always – it comes across the broadcast every game uh, because of some of the suggestive shots that – that happened in, in crucial parts of the game. Yeah. But the, the, the three-point uh, shot has just uh, uh, it's changed the game so much, and Steph had a lot to do with that, obviously. Uh, but Eric Collins, my play-by-play guy, he'll often say, hey, this, this date, you know, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, you scored 20 points and took two threes. And I'm like, what? He goes, yeah, yeah, yeah. So the game was played inside the arc. Now it's totally played outside of the arc. Um, and whether you can shoot the three or not with good consistency, you're still allowed to take them. Uh, yeah, yeah. And that's, that, that blows my mind that guys that really should not be shooting <laughs> multiple threes a game get to do it and do it every night uh, because it's what expected. Back in your day, you used to say, there's a reason why you're open, Absolutely. Right? No doubt. Absolutely. <laughs> hey, now, let me ask you this kind of big picture, whether it's current day or, or just kind of looking back at, at, at long term and, and even recent history. How important is it to have on the floor and off the floor, in the locker room, everywhere, the veteran voice, the veteran player, but also then the vet that can still contribute to and the difference between those guys? You, you see a lot of teams struggle who, who have talent on their rosters just because they don't have that veteran guy um, in the locker room, on the floor. And you say whether a veteran, veteran guy can still produce. If you've produced – and some of the younger guys know you and know yeah. that you produce. I think that carries weight uh, as you're getting older. Maybe you don't play as much. Uh, but you see so many um, teams down the stretch that don't know how to win close games 
uh, don't know how to show up and play and, and start the games and play the right way. Coach Clifford always talks about playing with a purpose. Uh, people like, what do you mean? That's 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 a big problem in the NBA. I think pl- teams coming out and playing with a purpose every day. And uh, a veteran team, a veteran a team that has one or two veterans that can make sure the young guys uh, show up, know how to play, are ready to play, and play with that purpose is, is big time. So uh, as, ga- as guys age out of the league, I think they still have value toward the end of their career if they've produced in the league and they have that respect uh, that uh, young young guys are looking for as far as how to be a pro, how to show up and play every day. That's priceless in a locker room. Uh, Dell, evaluate the, the, the Hornets opponent tonight, Toronto, with their – in a league where – Everybody's shooting the three, and some teams still play somewhat traditionally in terms of their big person, right? When you think about, you know, a Robert Williams, a Joel Embiid, a yeah. Nikola Jokic, uh, a Steven Adams. They're still a big, bruising. Toronto doesn't have that. Yeah. Um, evaluate what you see from it, and do you like the fact that, you know, Nate McMillan talked about you can take all the names and numbers off the front in Toronto and – you're, you're, every time you turn the corner, you see a guy who's 6'9", long, athletic, and you can't get past him. But this team is, is, is still forming that identity. Talk to me about what you see from a team that plays like that and how successful you think it could be. Well, first of all, I think um, it, it's just how guys play from year to year. I mean, Van Fleet had an awesome year last year. He's not playing like he did last year, not saying that he's not a, a still a good player. He's just not putting up the numbers uh, that, and, and having the year that he had last year. And that's a big part of, of why Toronto is struggling right now, I think. But you talk about guys, uh, teams not having that big dominant center. I think the league is, is t- tending toward that because it's a four-out, five-out league uh, now that plays with pace. And we, we talked about jump shooting. It, there's, there's very few teams that play that old-school basketball. Your center – really now has to be able to handle the ball, make plays, facilitate on the offensive end, uh, if, if, especially when you're talking about teams that, that dominate and shooting the threes. Um, Toronto, like Charlotte, just not, not shooting the ball well. They don't have a lot of guys that can put the ball in the hole consistently, but you still have to shoot those threes. Yeah. And when you, you don't do that, that puts so much pressure on you defensively. Now, you talked about Toronto's got those six nine long wing guys. I think that's helped them uh, win games. Uh, when they face teams like Charlotte, it's not the, the shooting team. So um, you you may fa- say, you know, first team to 100 may win tonight. Who can put the ball in uh, in the hole with the, some kind of consistency? But when you don't have that that team that can shoot and make the three ball consistently, you got to have those six nine, six eight wing guys who can switch and guard the ball, stop the ball, um, and, you know, Guys play differently, not only offensively, they have good offensive years, but they have good and bad defensive years as mm. well. So I think it's a big problem here at Toronto. Thank you very much, Dale. That was former Toronto Raptor, longtime NBA vet, and current Charlotte Hornets analyst, Dell Curry. Again, folks, subscribe to Smith & Jones wherever you get your podcast. Download, subscribe, rate, and review fresh content on Sportsnet 590 The Fan and your podcast platforms every Thursday. Thanks to our producer, Austin Mackey, and for Paul Jones, I'm Eric Smith. Thanks for tuning in to Smith & Jones.